Okay. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Parsha, and then we're going to dive into some uh, Hasidic teachings on Yaakov and Esav being the children of Yitzchak. Okay, so one of the first questions we have is that the, the Pasuk, the portion begins with, these are the offsprings of Yitzchak, the son of Avraham. Avraham, the, well, Avraham uh, bore uh, Yitzchak. And why the double language? Why the double language of, you know, this is Yitzchak, the son of Avraham. So Avraham, obviously we know that Avraham bore um, Yitzchak. You know, I, I mean, you know, Sarah was the mother, but I'm just saying that Avraham is the one that uh, was the father. So why the double language? So there's an answer that Rashi gives, and then there's a mystical answer. And the mystical answer is going to have a lot to what, what we're going to talk about later as well. The simple answer is that Yitzchak was born to Avraham and Sarah right after the story where King Abimelech took Sarah and wanted her to be his wife. And thus, the Leitzone Hadoir, the ones that like to ridicule everything, they started saying, yeah, 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 Avram's child. She was married to him for, for all these decades, no, never got pregnant. And all of a sudden, right after she spends a night in the palace with uh, Abimelech, and all of a sudden she's pregnant. And you want us to believe that nothing happened between Abimelech and Sarah and that Abimelech is not the real father? So therefore, our sages tell us that God made specifically that Isaac should be, his, his physique, his face, should be absolutely identical to Avraham. So there would be no question. And that's how Rashi interprets why it says twice. Yitzchak is the son of Avraham, which means, you know, biologically he was a son of Avraham. Avraham gave birth to Yitzchak, would mean that they were identical. Now here is something interesting that a lot of people don't know. So up to Avraham, there was no getting old in your facial um, features, your, your hair didn't turn white. You just remained until you died. You remained at a certain stage. You became to full maturity and that was it. And actually we're taught that because Yitzchak and Avraham and Avraham and Yitzchak were so identical, when they would walk into a room, people didn't know who to honor as the father and who is the son. And thus Avraham asked and prayed to God that he should look older. And the Zohar tells us that God told him, garb yourself in my garb. And what is my garb? And the Zohar goes to explain on the mystical level what the color white is all about. So the first time anyone had white hair was actually... Avram Avinu. Parenthetically speaking, the first one that had the aging 
process of decomposition and aches and everything was actually Jacob, Avram's grandchild, because Jacob told God, is it not only fear that human beings should be forced to be very conscious that they're getting close to the end of their life so that they can put their affairs in order and, you know, make any amends that they have to and get things right. So actually Isaac was the one that brought on, he prayed for and brought on that aging process. Prior to Jacob, we are taught that a person would die not having any aging process. Yeah, he would be white since Abraham, but he would sneeze and die. And the reason why it would be sneeze and die, because you remember in Genesis, the verse said, and God blew the soul of life into the nostrils of Adam. So it entered the nostrils and it left the nostrils. And that's why until this very day, we have the custom that when someone sneezes, we say, Gesundheit, or, you know, bless you. That's really where it comes from. Anyway, let's get back to our Torah portion. So I told you that Rashi is going to tell us a very physical response to why it says double. Yitzhak, the son of Avram, Avram begot um, uh, Yitzhak. In Kabbalah, we have a total different approach to it. And, and obviously, my knowledge of Kabbalah comes through Hasidus. Hasidus explains that it would seem to be that Isaac strayed away from the legacy of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham's entire service to God was through love. And, and again, I mention this every week. I do my own little uh, promotion here for myself. Um, every week I, I prepare a, a lecture besides this class and I send it out. And this week's lecture titled, There's Nothing to Fear But the Fear of Fear, talks about this concept of how Abraham and Isaac in their service approach to God were polar opposites. Concerning Abraham, Jeremiah says, Avraham oihavi, Avraham who loved me. Avram's entire service to God was through kindness, through giving, through compassion and love. Isaac, on the other hand, when we talk about the God of Isaac, Jacob, in prayer to God, he says, the God of Abraham and pachad Yitzchak, the fear of Isaac. Thus, Isaac's relationship with God was one built on mature fear and awe. And I use the word mature. Again, I'm going to direct you to listen and read the class that's going to go out tomorrow morning at 9.15 to understand why fear is a healthy emotion. I'm not talking about anxiety. I'm not talking about the, the fears that paralyze us. I'm talking about the healthy fear that God implanted as a primary emotion within each of us. So Isaac's connection to God was built more on fear, justice, earn, from below to above. And Abraham's relationship with God was more about love, benevolence, from above to below. Thus, one may think that Abraham, that Isaac did not remain true 
to the legacy of his father. Thus, according to Hasidus, what the verse is really telling us is that you should know that Isaac is the true legacy and offspring of Abraham. And you should know that Abraham is the one who begot Isaac, which means that the true definition of Abraham's love is not frivolous recklessness, but the one that drives into Isaac, justice, awe. And, uh, and Isaac's entire justice and awe is not built on viciousness, meanness, but it actually is based upon the love and compassion of Abraham. Thus, on a mystical level, we're saying that you should know that one is the legacy of the other and one is the foundation of the other. So that's the mystical insight to why the double terminology. Another question is, it starts off by saying these are the offsprings of Isaac. And then it goes, doesn't, I mean, the next verse, one would expect to say that that was Jacob and Esau, Esau and Jacob, but it doesn't. It says, these are the offsprings, and then it starts the whole story how they couldn't have kids for 20 years since they met, and then they were prayed, and then she got pregnant. She had horrible pregnancy pains. She went to the, to the prophet in her generation, and she asked, why am I going through this? And the, and the prophet tells her, because you have twins, and they're polar opposites, and they're fighting within you, and that's why you're going through the pain. And then finally, it tells us that they were born, and the name was. Um, Jacob and Esau. So why do you start the verse with this is the offsprings of Isaac? If you're going to start the verse, then you have to lead right into who the offspring was. Don't get involved with a whole story or don't start the story with, and these are the offsprings of Isaac. Start the story how they couldn't have kids for, tw for 20 years, how they prayed and everything, and then say, and these are the offsprings of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. So that's one of the questions that is asked. And I just want to share with you something. Again, I'm setting foundations to what we're going to talk about when we finish the brief overview. That Rashi picking up on this question. So he right away says in the first Rashi, he says, these are the offsprings of Yitzchak. And he explains Yaakov and Esau that will be mentioned later in the Torah portion. So being that Rashi was a cheder teacher, he taught five-year-olds who were first learning Torah, and he wanted to put in his commentary any question that would bother this five-year-old as he's studying. So he right away tells the five-year-old, don't worry, don't worry, I know we're going to go off topic, but you should know that he's talking about later Isaac and Esau. I'm sorry, Jacob and Esau. So I want to share with you something that I learned from the Rebbe of Blessed Memory. The Rebbe explains in one of his talks that there's something very deep in this Rashi. Rashi says, Yaakov and Esav, that will be spoken about in the portion. The deeper mystical insight is that Rashi knows that the child is going to have a huge question. How can such a saintly man like Isaac have given birth to such a ruthless, vicious, perversive man like Esau. Which again is going to be part of what I'm going to talk about later. 
And therefore the Rebbe says that you should know. Rashi is telling you that the offspring of Isaac is the one that's written in the Torah with all the potentials of being super good. The Esau that physically chose to not be the Esau he could be, that wasn't the one that came from Isaac. The one that came from Isaac is the one with the huge power of potential, which will explain why at the end of the Torah portion, you see that Isaac is favoring Esau, and this we'll talk about when we finish the overview. Let's go further. So they pray, and at that point, Isaac is 66. Rebecca is at the age of 23. I'll point to another opinion, the age of 34. And what happens is that she, they pray, God answers Isaac's prayer, and, and uh, Rivka gets pregnant. And, and I mentioned to you that he answered Isaac's prayer, but I said they both prayed. So Rashi says that the reason why Isaac had a greater merit is because even though Isaac and Rebekah were both righteous and holy, however, Isaac also had the merit that his father was holy. So he was a tzaddik, the son of a tzaddik. While Rivka, she was holy, but she was the offspring of someone who was quite wicked. Okay, so going further. The, she, as I told you, she had terrible pains. She goes to ask of God. She went to the famous uh, Torah uh, Academy of Shame, the son of Noah, and she asks Aver, Shem and Aver, and then she goes ahead and she asks, why am I going through this pain? And the prophet tells her, because you're going to give birth to two nations. Now, I think it's important to pay attention to some of these wordings here. Two nations are in your stomach, two mighty nations from your insides will go forth and then he says a very interesting thing he talks about that they will never equally be mighty but rather when one is up the other will be down when one is down the other will be up now i want to just take you quickly to the end of the story which we'll get to in a moment but at the end of the story, as you know, Jacob snuck away the blessings that Isaac was going to give to Esau, and Jacob received it. Esau finds out, and he starts crying to his father, can't you also give me a blessing? Do you only have one blessing? And Isaac explains why he can't give him a blessing after the blessing that he gave Jacob. But then he tells him like this. But you should know that even though I gave him the blessing that his sibling will be subservient to him, and simply why Isaac did that was because he thought he was giving a blessing to the firstborn, the older one, and the younger has to respect the older. But nevertheless, Isaac goes on to say, but you should know that if they, the offspring of Jacob, ever throws off the yoke, of their responsibilities of Torah and mitzvah to God, you will be able to rise up and overpower them. Thus, we see over here, once again, in the beginning of the story, we're being told that they'll never both be mighty together. 
Okay, and then he prophesizes that the older will be subservient to the younger. Now, the fact that Rebecca heard from the prophet that the older will be subservient to the younger is obviously right there is already an understanding of why even though Isaac favored Esau, Rivka favored Jacob. Rivka is the one that told Jacob, I overheard your father saying that he's going to bless Esau before he dies, and it is imperative that you be the one that gets that blessing. Okay, let's move along. What do we know? We know that they were not identical twins. Now, here is something very interesting. Rashi, and, and, and in general, the fact that Rashi is doing this is quite questionable and bothersome because Rashi will never make comparatives of something in the Torah to something later that the child didn't learn yet. And yet here, he absolutely does. The next set of twins that we're going to come across in the Torah is when Judah ends up having the unintentional affair with his daughter-in-law Tamar. She gets pregnant and she gets, and she actually gives birth to twins. Now Rashi keeps on making comparatives between the two, pointing out that the reason why by Tamar it says it in a much fuller and more powerful language is because the twins of Tamar were both righteous and holy. While over here, it's not being told in the full power of the terminology because only one was righteous. Now, Esau comes out, he is hairy, and he is a redhead, and they call him Esau for that reason. Jacob was born with his hand holding on to Esau's ankle, and therefore they call him Yaakov, because the word Yaakov, Akkev, is the Hebrew word for heel. And there's beautiful teachings on why he was holding on to that heel of Esau. All the things we'll try to get to when we come back to give a deeper insight into who these two twins were. Anyway, the next story jumps ahead 15 years later. So just that you know, Abraham dies at the age of 175. He has Isaac at the age of 60. I'm sorry, at the age of 100. Isaac has his twins at the age of 60, which means that Abraham was 160 when they were born. Abraham passes away when he's 175, which tells us that the 15 years, three generations live together in this world. Now, and there are other opinions that talk about how he's really 13 years old, but how could he be 13 years old? The mathematic doesn't work out. And there's a beautiful, interesting interpretation. If you remember, I told this to you when we studied about the story of Abraham bringing Isaac on the altar, the verse doesn't say, and they returned. It says, and Abraham returned. And from there, there's an insight that Isaac didn't return. Isaac went up to heaven for two years, and he didn't age in those two years, and then whatever. Simply speaking, they were together 15 years, and there's many teachings upon that 15 years. But be it as it may, they pass away. Avram passes away when they're 15. Now, on the day that Abraham passed away, Esau did his first murder. 
And this is what it's meant when God promised Abraham, you will have a pleasant elder. You won't get to see Esau going astray. And therefore, the first time he killed was actually on the day of Abraham's death, after Abraham's death. Who actually does he kill? He actually kills the nemesis of Abraham, which was King Nimrod. And when he kills King Nimrod, he steals from him a very special coat. Now, this coat actually came from the Garden of Eden, and Adam brought it with him. And then it went down from one to another to Noah in the ark, and eventually it ends up in the hands of the supreme leader of the world at that time, which was King Nimrod. And then what happens is Esau kills Nimrod and takes that, that jacket, that sweater, coat, whatever you want to call it. Now, later at the end of the story, you're going to see that when Jacob comes into Isaac, and Isaac was blind at that time, and all of a sudden Isaac says, I smell the fragrance of the garden of God. So the simple interpretation is that he, 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 he felt the, cement, the scent of Jacob's righteousness, which is all about the garden of God. However, there's another interpretation that he meant it literally, because that coat, which came from the garden of Eden, carried the scent of the garden of Eden. And Isaac knew that scent. And thus he said, what's going on here? I smell the fragrance, the scent of the garden of Eden. So he comes back and he's exhausted. And our sages tell us that murder, taking the life of a human being, creates a huge fragmentation and exhaustion in the soul of the person who did that. And, and actually, it really causes a permanent damage. And what happens here is, by the way, parenthetically speaking, obviously we know this, from, from those who were you know, in the army and then they had to take lives. It's not a simple thing to overcome. But be it as it may, that's why the verse says that, Isaac, that Esau comes into the house and he's tired. And he sees Jacob cooking lentils. Now, why was Jacob cooking lentils? Why was he cooking and why was he cooking lentils? And the answer is, I told you that Abraham died. If Abraham died, Isaac was doing the seven days of the morning. And the custom is that on the first meal that you do after you come home from the cemetery, you either eat an egg or a lentil. Today, everyone eats eggs. But in the, it talks about both the lentil or the egg. And they both carry the same message. One is that they're round. So we're telling the mourner, he who is on the bottom today in a, in, in, a, in a place of pain and mourning, the world turns. You will yet rise up to the top. Another thing is that it's round and closed, that just like it doesn't have an opening, so to the mourner doesn't have a mouth. He's, he's in pain, he's silenced. And on and, and a deeper level, when a person is in mourning, it's not the time to talk, but it's the time to connect with faith and acceptance. Okay, with this being said, Asaph walks in and says, give me from what you're cooking. 
And Jacob seizes the moment and says, oh, you want what I'm cooking? I'll sell it to you. He says, what do you mean to sell it to me? He says, yeah, I want something from you in return. And Esau says, what do you want? And he says, sell me the first birthright. And Esau says, first birthright? What, what, of what value is it? So he says, so Esau tells him, there's going to come a time where the firstborns are going to be chosen to do the service, eventually turned over to the Levites after the golden calf, but the firstborns, so he says, and what does that entail? So it says, you know, you have to be careful. You can't get drunk because you're going to have to work in the holy temple and you can't uh, become impure because you have to walk in the holy temple. And he says, says, really, and what happens if I do, if I do get uh, drunk? And he says, that's punishable by death. And that's why the verse says, why do I need this first birthright? It's going to lead me to death. And he sells it to Jacob and it's an official sale. I want to emphasize this is something that happened pre-Torah and it happened only in this story with Jacob and Esau. You cannot buy or sell the first birthright. So much so that a parent, a father specifically, when he leaves his last will and testament, if he doesn't do it as a gift or make it into a foundation, but he leaves it directly as inheritance, he cannot change the fact that if there's a firstborn male, the, he gets the birthright of having a double portion. Yet this story here is the one and only time that we find that there was such a sale, a transfer of birthright, a first birthright, and God accepted it. But it is not something you can ever do. So Yaakov says, swear to me, and he swears, and Yaakov gives him the food. The next story is that there was a hunger in the land. Now, Isaac lived in Israel. So Isaac says to himself, well, when my father came to Israel, there was a hunger. And what did he do when there was a hunger? He went to Egypt temporarily. I'll do what my father did. I'll leave the land of Israel. And as he gets to the good leave Israel, God comes to him and says, you cannot leave Israel. Abraham left Israel. Jacob will leave Israel. You can't leave Israel. Why? Because being that Jacob was placed on the altar, he manifested the sanctity and the laws of a offering, and that cannot leave the boundaries of Israel. And thus God tells him, stay here and I will be with you. So he ends up living under the kingdom of Avimelech in the land which would become the land of Israel. Now, I just want to point out, I pointed it last time, you will find the name Paro, you will find the name Avimelech, and you'll find it in Genesis, you'll find it in Exodus, and you think, oh my God, well, what's going on here? These are not names, they're titles. They're like saying Mr. President. So it wasn't the same one. Abraham had Abimelech that he dealt with, and Isaac had an Abimelech that he dealt with. Jacob and Joseph had a Pharaoh that he dealt with, and according to some opinions, Moses had a Pharaoh that he dealt with. So it's a title. Now, this Abimelech, again, Isaac does exactly what his father does, and he presents his wife as his sister, 
knowing that in those days, if people felt that your wife was beautiful, especially monarchy, uh, they wouldn't uh, have an affair with your wife. They would first make your wife free. And how would they make your wife free? By making her a widow. So therefore, Isaac says, say you're my sister. And then as he's living there for quite some time, and then all of a sudden he says, okay, it's safe. It's safe. No one's bothering me about my wife. So all of a sudden he wasn't that careful. And Isaac and Avimelech finds out that Isaac and Rivka are husband and wife and not sisters. So he comes over and he tells, says to him, what would you do? Can you imagine what, what you could have led to by saying it's your sister? And Isaac answers, I didn't want to get killed over this. I didn't want to get killed over this. And therefore, uh, um, um, uh, Avimelech says, you have nothing to worry about. No one will mess with her. No one will harm her. Okay, and then it goes on to say how, Avi, how Isaac literally was blessed and he became amazingly wealthy to the point where he was digging ditches and the wells and the people, the, the Pelishtim, they were so angry and so jealous of him <clears throat> that they would stuff the wells. They would say, it's our wells. Who are you to take these wells? It's our land. It's our water. So it tells about how one time he dug a well, they stole it. A second time he dug a well, he, they stole it. The third time they left him alone. He says, oh, now we've come to a place of broadness. We won't have to live in this narrowness of worry. And God has blessed us. Anyway, then it goes on to tell the story how he reopened up the wells that his father, Avraham, um, uh, dug up because the plishtim went and, and closed those up. Anyway, moving right along, Avimelech sees that Isaac is carrying full blessings. He says, you know something? I should make peace with him and I should be partners with him. So he comes over to Isaac. And he says, you know, my father made a pact with your father. I want to make a pact with you. Let's make a covenant. Let's live in peace. And, uh, you know, and um, Isaac tells him, hey, what, what, oh, you coming to make peace? You know, you, you, you guys chased me away. You guys told me that, the, you know, there's no room for me here. The, you know, I'm, I'm, I, it's getting too bad. So they go ahead and they make this pact and they make this, um, this whole uh, process. And again, they swear to each other that they will be in peace. Okay. And by the way, at this point, I mentioned to you last week that when Abraham and I and Avimelech made a covenant and an oath, Abraham named the city Be'er Shava, the well of an oath. Isaac named it when he did this whole process. After that, he named it Be'er Sheva because it was the seventh well. Until this very day, it, came, it carries the latter name. The city carries the name of Be'er Sheva. Okay, after that, when Isaac turns, uh, well, I'm sorry, when Esau turns 40, Esau says, oh, I have to get married. Why do I have to get married? Because my father got married at 40, so I'm gonna get married at 40. And here we have something really, really, very, very telling about Esau. The verse says, compares Esau to a pig. Why? Why is the verse calling him a pig? That's not nice. And he says, no, the reason is simple. A pig is not kosher, but the front two legs of a pig has split hoofs, 
which is a sign of kosher, not his hind legs, his front legs, and he doesn't chew his cud. So it's not kosher. But if you ever see how a pig lays, it's always with its front legs sticking out. And the sages say that was Asav. He was a murderer. He was a nasty person. He was a violent person, but he liked to show his kosher pig feet. Oh, my father got married at 60. I'll get married at 60. Really? I'm sorry, 40. Really? You're going to get married at 40? For the first 40 years, you were raping and then just doing what you want with whoever you want. And all of a sudden now, you're going to be like your father, your righteous father. But that's the way he worked. And over here, we're told that the women that he married were idol worshipers. And thus, they were bringing incense. And this affected Isaac's eyesight. Okay. And thus, Isaac is now, he's losing his eyesight. And then what happens is Isaac tells um, Esau, listen, I'm getting old. And of course, he didn't know when he was going to die. He actually lived the longest of all the forefathers. And, um, and uh, he tells Isaac, bring me, bring me food so that I may be in a state of, of bliss. And then with the spirit of God upon me, I will bless you. And now, just that you should know, simply speaking, we're taught that all the prophets, when they wanted to go into prophecy, many of them would play a harp because it says that God does not rest upon um, depression, sadness, only upon joy. And thus, they would bring themselves into a state of blissfulness and joy so that God would rest upon them and they would have prophecy. Simply speaking, that's what Isaac is doing. On a mystical level, there's deeper teachings here, but I just wanted to share with you the simple, the simple understanding. Rivka hears this, and Rivka tells uh, Jacob, uh, 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 this, can, this cannot go wrong. The blessings cannot go to Esau. You need the blessings. And Jacob says, yeah, but what happens if my father finds out that I am tricking him? And simply, he's going to touch me, and I have smooth skin, while Esau has hairy skin. And then, not only won't he bless me, he's going to curse me. And Rebecca says to him, the curse will be upon me. You must go. Bring me, um, the, I will prepare for you food. I will put on you the coat I'll tie around your neck um, and your hands. I'll tie around the skin of, of a sheep with all the fur. So when dad does touch you, if he touches you, he'll feel that you're hairy. Okay, Isaac, uh, Jacob agrees to what his mother is telling him to do, and that's what he does. And he walks in to, to um, Isaac, and he says, Father, please sit up. I have, bought, I have brought you food. Now, Immediately, Esau is, Isaac is like, okay, this is not the language that Esau talks. Please get up. And he says, and Isaac says, that was quick. And Jacob says, God has brought to me this food. In other words, I didn't have to go hunting and looking and everything. God brought it near to me. And again, Isaac is like, what's going on here? Esau never talks about God that way. And he says, come to me. 
And that's where the famous line is. The hands, uh, he touches him and he says, the voice is the voice of Jacob and the hands are the hands of Esau. And here we're taught that Isaac defines for us the different ways in which we fight war. The Jewish people will fight through the mouth of prayer and Torah study. And the offspring of Esau will fight through, and that refers to the Romans, will fight through weapons, hands. And then he goes ahead and he eats. And then, oh, he asks him, who are you? And Jacob had to answer, but Jacob wouldn't lie. So Jacob did trickery instead. And he said, I, comma, Asa of your firstborn. In other words, Jacob was saying, I am I. And Asa was your firstborn. But he obviously he knew he was tricking his father. And that is, by the way, a deeper meaning into what Jacob is telling, what Isaac is telling him. You're Jacob. Your way is the way of truth, the way of the mouth. And yet you've dressed yourself and taken the ways of Esau, your trickery. But anyway, he goes ahead and he eats and then he blesses him. And then he goes, as, as Jacob is leaving his father, he gets out right before Esau comes along. And here you see different language. Esau doesn't say, please, father, sit up. He says, come, get up. I brought you food. You want the food? I brought you food. And Jay and Esau says, who are you? I just ate. So he says, I'm Esau. I'm your son. You told me to bring you food and you're going to bless me. And then Jake and, and Isaac says, so who just fed me? And I blessed him. And Esau immediately realized what happened. And he says, is that why you called him Jacob? And here he plays with the word, Akvuni. He, he like tripped me. He tripped me twice. And immediately Esau and Isaac says, twice? Why twice? So he says, well, he tricked me out of my first birthrights because when I was hungry, he told me to sell it to him and I sold it to him. And that's when Isaac accepts, oh, so I didn't do the wrong thing. I did give the blessing to the firstborn. And that's when he says, I blessed him, let him be blessed. And here Esau starts crying. And it says he cried a very deep and bitter cry. And he says, Father, do you only have one blessing? Can't you bless me too? And Isaac said, by with everything that I blessed him, what is left for me to bless you? And our sages say that he said, I blessed that you would be subservient to him and the law is that whatever belongs to a servant belongs to its master so of what blessings can i give you and then he tells him the secret but if jacob ever throws off the yoke of his spirituality and his obligations in torah mitzvot you will be able to rise up and overcome him and then esau says the verse says that esau said to himself in his heart my father is old, soon he's going to die. I'm not going to do this while he's alive because I don't want to pain him. But when he dies, I will murder Jacob for this. Now, from here, we learn out two things. Number one, it says that Rebekah heard that Esau 
wants to kill Jacob. And the question is, how could he, she have heard if it clearly says that he didn't articulate it, he thought it to himself. So the first thing we learn out from here was that Rivka was a prophetess. The second thing we learn out of here is an unbelievable concept, and I want to share this with you. The Talmud tells a story how a mother came to the sages and said, my son, who was also a sage, is very sick. Please pray for him that his life be saved. And the sages said, give us a merit. Give us something special he has that in that merit we'll ask of God, please save his life. And she went and she said, my son is outstanding in his honor to his mother. And they said, really, for example? And she said, I was once in the marketplace and the strap of my shoe ripped and the entire way home, he kept on bending down and putting his hand under my foot that the bottom of my foot should not have to touch the dirt of the street. The Talmud says that they responded to her and he doesn't even come close to the honor that Esau had for his father. So out of all the things that we talk about Esau, he had a very deep honor and respect for his father. And thus, regardless that he's a murderer, and regardless that he's fuming and, and needs blood revenge of Jacob, he says, I'll wait till my father dies. He doesn't need to live through this. And then um, Rebecca tells Jacob, you need to leave. And when his anger eventually comes down, I will send for you and you will come back. But meanwhile, go to my brother, Lavan. And how does she set this up? Because he can't go without the blessings of, of Isaac. He can't just leave his older father. So she goes to Isaac and tells Isaac, I don't want my son, our son, Jacob, to marry from the local girls. I want him to marry from the family. And therefore, I'd like to send him to my brother who has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And Isaac agrees. Isaac calls in Jacob. You can imagine at this point, Isaac knows everything that happened, but he embraced and accepted that this is what God wanted. And therefore, he blesses Jacob again. And he tells Jacob, go, go to your cousin, uh, your uncle, and there you have two cousins and marry over there. Then what happens is that, again, Isaac has such respect from Esau that even though Esau married women and he did all the stuff he did, being that all of a sudden he saw that his father wants daughter-in-laws and an offspring from family, Therefore, he marries the daughter of his uncle, Ishmael. Remember that Isaac has a half-brother, Ishmael. So he marries the daughter. Anyway, this is what happens, and that's the way the Torah portion ends. And how are we doing time-wise? Okay, let's get into this interesting topic. Isaac has offsprings. Esau and Jacob. And 
again, the question is, how do we acknowledge that there's someone like Esau that comes from Isaac and Rebekah? And obviously, wait, wait, one second, what's about Yishmael? Yeah, the same question is about Yishmael, how Yishmael can come from Avraham, but we do need to take consideration that the mother of Yishmael was Hagar who came from Egypt. Over here, it's the same holy Isaac, the same holy Rebecca. And Avram had to send Yishmael away from the house. And, and Esau did not, was not sent away from the house. How do we have a Esau being an offspring? Number one. Number two, just like Isaac went in a different route, it seems, than his father, Avraham. Remember the love, fear, the kindness, and, and, and the justice, strictness? Jacob was even another way. Jacob doesn't follow the way of awe, fear, and strict justice. Rather, Jacob follows the way of compassion. And, and our sages say, and that's why Jacob, all his children, remained good and holy and created the holy 12 tribes of the Jewish people. Well, because Avram was an extreme, Isaac was an extreme, and with extremes, you're bound to have things not good. But I, a Jacob, followed the balance of the compassion, which is a mixture of kindness and justice, and therefore, all his offsprings were holy. So again... Were we to take the literal concept of what's going on here, it seems to be that Isaac is, I'm sorry, that Esau is more in tune with the psyche and the spiritual soul of Isaac. Because what Esau was, he was Isaac gone wrong. Because Isaac is all about justice, strictness, strength, and what is Esau? Exactly all of that, but only in a horrific way, while Isaac was in a beautiful way. So what's going on here? First of all, how can there be someone go so wrong from people so holy? And second of all, how can that one be more in tune with the holy Isaac than the other brother who is the righteous and saintly and holy one? So I mentioned to you earlier that the true definition of how Esau came from Isaac was on a spiritual level. I want to jump ahead all the way to the end of Genesis and share with you something amazing. What ended up happening was that when the children and grandchildren of Jacob brought his body from Egypt to be buried in Israel, where his parents were buried, Esau got in the way. And he said, nope, sorry, there's only one spot left. You gave your spot away to your wife, Leah. I find that very romantic and beautiful, but this last spot is mine. And he doesn't allow them to bury um, Jacob. And of course, he said, what are you talking about? You know good and well that you sold it. He bought it from you. He gave you all his wealth before he left. And now he says, yeah, show me a contract. The contract was in Egypt. They didn't expect to have this problem. One of the grandchildren who was deaf, and he didn't understand what was going on, his name is Chushim, the son of Don, he's like, whoa, 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 why is my father, my grandfather's body laying out here and we're all just stopping? Why are we continuing? So they show him with hand language, sign language that Esau was not letting. 
And he didn't ask no question. He says, oh, really? He just grabbed the sword and chopped off Esau's head for getting in the way of the respect and final respect and burial of Jacob. Now, why did I tell you this story? Because I want to lead up to what the Zohar says. The Zohar says that the head of Esau rolled over to the grave of Isaac, and it was by the chest of Isaac, where Isaac was buried. And then the Zohar goes to say that Isaac smiled. What's the deeper meaning of the Zohar? The deeper meaning of the Zohar is exactly what I was telling you previously. The head of Esau, the place of the spirituality, the source, the potential, belongs in the bosom of Isaac because it comes from a holy place. However, he chose to go wrong. Now, on the other hand, Jacob, even though he was the true inheritance of Isaac, just like Isaac was the true inheritance of Abraham, but nevertheless, what was taking place here was that Isaac understood that Abraham was laying a foundation of love to a road of justice, and Jacob understood that ultimately Abraham and Isaac were both laying the foundation to the road of compassion. And compassion is, I know what you deserve, justice, and nevertheless, I'm going to give you kindness. Kindness doesn't want to know. Don't tell me. Don't tell me what you deserve or not. I'm giving. I'm giving. Justice says not a penny more than you deserve. Compassion says, I know you. I know what you deserve. You don't deserve more than that. But nevertheless, let me reach out to you with compassion. So Jacob, who didn't look exactly like Isaac, was the true legacy of what Abraham and Isaac were building a nation of compassion built on a beautiful compilation of kindness and strictness. Now, what went wrong with Esau? So for this, I'm going to get into a mystical teaching for a moment. Yeah, we're doing good in time. There are two realms in the worlds of spirituality. One is called tohu, chaos, and one is called tikkun, correction. Now, what is the difference between the two? Tohu is interested in full-blown intensity. It doesn't want to compromise anything of its intense, amazing experience. And thus, there is no compilation and no meeting of the minds between right and left, kindness and strictness. And therefore, because there is that huge intensity, you probably know someone, because we all have someone we know, who is what we would call a tohu guy. The guy literally looks like a Mexican jumping bean 
that's like all over the place and he's this and that, a heart of gold, but he is all over the place. He, his mind is like ADD racing. The guy is brilliant and he's talking and having a conversation with him is so challenging because he's running from one place to the other place, covering all the bases and he's, he's involved in everything. And, and then he, the guy is just like, wow, that is an embodiment of Tohu. While Tikkun is the more calmer person. When a, when a person of Tikkun is experiencing love, it's not like passionate, unbelievable, burn down the place. It's love. And when the person is experiencing the time for justice and reprimanding, he isn't abusing and slapping and what do you think you're doing? And it's, hey, we need to talk about this. What you did is wrong. There's a cause and effect, and there's going to be a punishment here. Tohu is the other way. Tohu is when he's in love. You can walk on water. You are amazing. There's nothing about you that's wrong. It's all love and beauty and everything. And when he's mad, stay away because your life is in danger. Esau was the embodiment of Tohu. And therefore, he couldn't well-balanced maintain a constructive, sane life because of all the great powers that was planted within him. And thus, everything went, wow. It was murder. It was whatever it was, because it was just full-blown, no boundaries, no subduing. He's in the moment, and he's going for full throttle. Jacob, on the other hand, understood that everything needs to be subdued with humility. And it's important that when you're experiencing the full throttle of love and passion, to be able to be humble about it. And when you're experiencing the full-blown gamut of justice, calm, humble. And that is why Esau went so wrong. Now, we understand why Isaac favored Esau. Because I, you know... I was a teacher. And, you know, there are teachers who don't like the troublemakers. They want the cookie cutters. Don't make me work. Don't challenge me. Sit, do, go home. There are, there are teachers where if the challenging kid is not a nasty challenging, sit down. No, you're going to make me? No. Rather, you got to keep your head on this student because he is going to play with everything you said. And he's going to do things in a way which is so challenging, but it isn't disrespectful in your face. A real gifted teacher has a deep liking towards that kid because he knows that this kid is going somewhere. And these are the ones who become leaders. And if I can just turn him around, 
this is a Ferrari, not a bicycle. If I can just get it on the right road and going in the right direction, wow, are we going to witness stuff that are special. That was Isaac's relationship with Esau because he saw Esau not as he was a maniac in real life, but as he was in the potential of a Ferrari going places, getting things done, and powerfully so. Rivka, on the other hand, she was the one, like always, the woman is the one that has to balance out the house and keep the husband in, in check. She was the one that realized, oh, Esau is very powerful. But if Jacob isn't the one in charge, we're going to have chaos. And I just want to give you an example, right? You need in every successful organization a guy who is tohu, not looking to always cookie cutter, the one that's always challenging. Who says? Who says we can't do this just because it wasn't done? Let's do it. But you need that at the end of the day, the CEO has to be Yaakov. And that's what Rivka saw, that Isaac wasn't able to see because Isaac was blind. On the spiritual Kabbalistic definition of Isaac was blind, that means that he closed himself off from seeing the physical embodiment of reality because he was so elevated into the spiritual reality. So he only saw the spiritual potential and how amazing Asaph could be. While Rebecca saw how horrible Asaph is and saw that Asaph's only prayer was, if Jacob takes charge and directs Asaph's energy in a productive and healthy manner. Thus, we now understand the deeper dimension of who these two twins are. They're really two parts, so to speak, of one whole, but we need to have the level-headed being the 51% owner to be able to pull rank and call the final shots. But like a rider on a horse, the energy lies in the black stallion. But without a rider controlling and directing, we're not getting anywhere productive. That's it. I am done and I will unmute. Okay.